0: Romans, then, in the chapter 12 this morning, the chapter 12 of the book of Romans. We enter into the chapter at the beginning. We read down through the end of the chapter. The Word of God says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to God, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. For ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on ex- exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep, and be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, I shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. And may the Lord bless even the reading of His Word again to our hearts today. As we come to this twelfth chapter, we come, in my opinion, to one of the most significant passages in the New Testament. A chapter that shines a light upon the road at my, at my feet as a believer in Jesus Christ should tread as I navigate through this world of woe. Coming to your penultimate ruby in this series, we dip into this chapter in which three things are found for you. In verse 1 and 2, we see a plea for you. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so the plea is, present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Allow the Lord to use your life, to use you, even in any way that He chooses in the service that He has called you to. Not only in verses 1 and 2 do we see a plea for you, but we see a place for you in verses 3 to 8. For it tells us therefore, I say through the grace... Given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we, as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing. So there's a place for you. Never let it be said that there's nothing for you to do here in Lurgan Baptist Church. For if we have come together as a local assembly, if we have voluntarily joined ourselves together to carry out and to fulfill the Great Commission, then God has joined you to this fellowship to serve, to find your place of service. God has gifted you for that place of service that He has called you to. And you're not led here because it's the only church available to you. You're not led here by chance, by accident, or because your friends go here, because your family goes here. You're here because God desires to use you. So find your place. Find your area and avenue of service. And do all that you do unto the glory and for the service of the Lord. As you continue down, we, always, we see in verses 68 how that that place is distinguished for us according to your gifts. But in the ver- verses that we read together, verses 3 to 5 there, it reminds us that no role is more important than the other. We all serve together. And yes, it's true, you can't do what I do, but I can't do what you do. And I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for you doing what you do. And so find your place and serve the Lord. And then in verses 9 to 21, we have a pattern for you. So we have a plea for you, a place for you, but then in verses 9 through 21, we see a pattern for you. And this pattern involves our conduct towards those within the fellowship and our conduct to the believer outside of the fellowship. Now, remaining consistent in my ability to be different, I'm going to put my neck a little bit on the block here and say that, in my opinion, only verses 9 through 13 deal with the pattern of behavior that God exhorts us to toward our fellow believer. Verses 9 through 13 have very much in focus the audience of our fellow church member. And so, the Word of God is exhorting us in these verses 9 through 13 to do that which we do in order to benefit the fellowship as a whole. Now, that is slightly out of step with the majority of commentators because they would say that verses 9 through 16 deal with our conduct and deal with our fellowship within the local church setting. Now, if you subscribe to my point of view, and for purposes of this message this morning, you all subscribe to my point of view, at least till you leave the building, because you won't get anything from it unless you do. And so, for the purposes of the next half hour or so, you're subscribing to my point of view, and then to do so, you understand that the bulk of the verses, according to the pattern that is found for you, is taken with the behavior that is viewed by the outside world. And understand the point here, because Paul, I believe, is placing an emphasis on the audience of our behavior, not the subject of our behavior. Many of the things dealt with between verses 9 through 21 in their entirety deal with our behavior one with another as fellow believers, deal with the people of like mind and like faith that we come together in fellowship with. But I believe with all of my heart that the verses 14 through 21 have as their primary focus the audience of the behavior and the conduct that we are involved in. How we treat one another, even as believers, but also how we treat those with outside the fellowship, how that is viewed by our looking world who looks and beholds our lives and marries up whether or not the statement that we are a believer in Jesus Christ actually matches with our conduct, matches with how we live our lives, matches with the words that we say. Now, you can take it or leave it, but as I already said, for the purposes of this message this morning, you have to take it at least for a while. You have to enjoy even that which the Word of God even has for us this morning. And so as we come to reveal this, Ruby, I want to tell you a little story. It's a little story about a little fellow called Jim. And Jim one day found a job in a local army camp. He's just a young lad fresh out of school. And so he's a little green behind the ears. And so the soldiers saw immediately an opportunity to take the mick out of him. They used to coat the oven handles with Vaseline so that when he went to grab the oven door, he couldn't actually open it. They put buckets of water above the door so that when he opened the door, he got soaked. One day, they even nailed his shoes to the floor. But all through all of these teasings and tauntings, Jim didn't even react. He just carried on meekly and humbly doing the things that he was asked to do, providing the food and cleaning up after the soldier's. That all led to them feeling a little guilty because of the behavior that they'd been showing toward Jim, and so they came to him and apologized to him, and they said, no longer will we treat you this way. And so Jim smiled a little, and he says, okay, so no more Vaseline on the, door, on the oven door handles, and he said, no more Vaseline. And he said, no more buckets of water above the door, and he said, they said, no more buckets of water, and he says, no more kneeling my shoes to the floor, and they said, no more kneeling your shoes to the floor. Jim nodded his head and he smiled and he says, well that's okay, I won't spit in your soup anymore either. (laughs) Now we laugh about that and we find it humorous, but I dare say if we took a little straw poll here today that there would be some amongst us who would say, good on Jim. He didn't take it lying down. He gave as good as he got. Oh, I support Jim for that because He is someone who stood up for himself. And we say that because our natural bent is to even the score. Not to be shown up, but to ensure revenge at all costs. But this morning as we come to the Word of God, I warn you that although that may be what we are naturally intended to behave like, that which we naturally would be drawn toward, It's a complete antithesis of all that God's Word exhorts us to do. Indeed, it's true to say that ignoring this ruby that we come to this morning, refusing to heed the exhortation of God's Word, and following that natural character trait that we all possess will be the root cause of any and all trouble that this fellowship will ever face. You see, in my experience, churches don't come to trouble because of doctrinal matters. If they do, they're in the extreme minority. Churches come to trouble usually because of that which is experienced between fellow believers. They experience trouble. They suffer splits. Why? Because the believers within it are following after their natural character trait. They're doing that which the Word of God exhorts us not to do. But wait, you say, the audience of the verses that you're referring to is the world, and if the split happens in the church, then what does that have to do with the world? And the answer is everything, absolutely everything. Because of failure to consistently and wholeheartedly implement the ruby that we come to in our lives time after time. A failure to do so consistently and wholeheartedly down through the generations has resulted in a litany of genuine and indisputable accusations that you and I battle against today and means that we come to the world, we come with our message of salvation in the gospel, we take it to the world, and they are already predisposed to opposition. They're already opposing all that the church stands for and all that we believers stand for. Why? Because we have failed to implement the words of verse 18, the simple ruby that we leave with you this morning, live peaceably. Live peaceably. A Christian is a peacemaker by obligation. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye love one another. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body. For this is a message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, beloved. If God so loved us, we are also to love one another. And this commandment have we from Him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Tell me this morning, are you a peacemaker? Tell me this morning, do you live peaceably in this world? Because that's what the Word of God exhorts us to do: Live peaceably. I've yet points this morning, but before that alarms you, I promise to keep them brief and I make no apology for keeping them very simple. Because I believe that this desire of God for each of us to live peaceably begins the very moment of our salvation. And so that means even the children amongst us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior need to learn these principles, need to apply these principles, and need to continually work at living peaceably all the days of their lives. The first thing we find in verse 14 is bless them which persecute you. Point number one, bless them which persecute you. The word bless in the Greek simply means to show goodwill. Here we have this understanding of those who are being opposed, perhaps physically, perhaps verbally, but they're being opposed because they're seeking to live for the Lord because they're seeking to take that stand for Him and the Word of God tells us that if we are to live peaceably, then we bless them which persecute us. We bless and curse them not. That means each and every time we come to opposition, whether inside the church or outside the church, we show goodwill. We have an attitude of goodwill and we seek to expend graciousness and kindness to all who would oppose us. Number two, empathize. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. You and I play lip service to empathy very often in our lives and say, oh yes, I could enter into the rejoicing. I can enter into the sorrow. I can do all of that. But if I was to tell you this morning that I received very good news yesterday and someone passed away and left me a million pounds, How many people would truly rejoice? I'd be rejoicing, but how many of you would truly rejoice with me? You'd be leaving here thinking that boy's landed on his feet. (laughs) How come that doesn't happen to me? I need to find that rich relative. Make sure I show up at that well reading. How easy truly is it for us to rejoice with them that rejoice? It doesn't come naturally. And how truly can we enter into the sorrow and the weeping of a broken heart? It doesn't come naturally. But yet, if we are to know what it is to live peaceably, the Word of God is reminding us here to truly know what it is, to have empathy, to empathize with those who are experiencing the highs and lows of emotions. I remember the piece of advice I was given by an old friend whenever I was going through Bible college in the States. He's going to be with the Lord now, but he said that the one rule that you have when it comes to meeting the needs of those who mourn is to simply be someone who encourages them to cry. To sit in their presence and to hear all that they want to say and to share even with you in that moment, but don't seek to meet a need that you can't meet. Just be a shoulder to cry on. Just be someone who then points them to the Lord, the great comforter of their soul. But friend, we need to be those who empathise. Number three, be humble. Be of the same mind one toward a number, uh, one toward another. Be not. Are mine not high things but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. You cannot be of one mind if you have an attitude that says you're better than others. You cannot be of one mind if you think you have arrived, or they think you know it all. To be of one mind, you need to be humble. Realize that God has you here in this earth because you aren't the finished article yet. Realize that your place in this assembly is to learn from other people in this assembly. Realize that God has brought us all together here as a family of God so that we can edify one another, build one another up, complement one another. He says, also may not high things but condescend to men of low estate." That word condescend, but condescend, that phrase that's found there in the Greek, means to be willing to be associated with those who have been flattened by life. Isn't it true that we readily gravitate to those who are successful? Those who think the way we do, those who are perhaps enjoying the experiences of life that we are, but how naturally do we gravitate toward those who are down and out? those who have been crushed by the experiences of life, to those who are not as fortunate as we are. Yet the Word of God tells us here, if we are to live peaceably, then we have to be humble. Do not think of ourselves greater than anyone else, but also then to be actively willing to associate with those who are not as fortunate as we are, not as blessed as we are there's an activity in that verse that many of us miss out on. Number four, right, not revenge. The thought is there, do what's right, don't seek revenge. That's found in verse 17. Recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. George and Lily were in the bedroom one day, and a scream went up, and their mother ran into the room, and there was George standing with Lily pulling his hair. Lily was a lot younger than George, and so mother simply released George's hair from Lily's hand and calmed George down by saying, it's okay, she doesn't know it hurts, she's only a little girl. She left the room and just as soon as she had left the door, she heard the piercing screams of Lily. She turned and she went back into the room and there was George standing with a clump of her hair and he says, she does now. That's how we are in the Christian life so often. We're so often consumed with evening the score of getting our own back. Why is it that some of the most bitter and vengeful people you meet in life are Christians? Why is it that our hearts are so full of trophy dolls and pictures which we put pins into and stick in dartboards hoping that somehow despising our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ will help us feel better? Yet the Word of God reminds us here our role is to do what's right every time. Each and every day we face a series of choices. And the choice for the believer is never between good and bad. For the Word of God quite clearly commands us to shun that which is evil. The choice for the believer every day is between doing what is good and what is best. See, the Christian life isn't just a little bit different. It's completely different. And if we are to fulfill our calling here in this life below, of being a witness for Jesus Christ, then we must live lives that are radically different from the world. And that means every time we do what is right, we do what is best. And we do not seek revenge. Number five, then, make peace possible. Verse 18, where our ruby is found, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We'll all be familiar with this statement. It's the other drivers on the road that you have to watch. Some of us may or may not agree with it, but whenever I was learning to drive, I had an old driving instructor who was just about to retire at the stage whenever I was learning to drive, but nevertheless, he said, that's rubbish. He said, the only car that you control on the road is yours. The only variable that you control on the road is your car. So learn to control your car and you'll stay out of trouble. And isn't that true about life as well? The only life that we truly control is our own. The only choices that we've any influence over are our own. The only choices that I can dictate to are my own. And if I do what is necessary to ensure peace, then I've done what is required of me, according to the Word of God. If we die to self, if we were me and unoffended, if we take the high road, then no fighting, no disagreements. Rather, the atmosphere of peace can, and will prevail. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, in the chapter 13, and the verse 11, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. The God of love and peace shall be with you. We're to make peace possible then come to verse 19, and we see number six, leave the difference with God. Paul's not naive in any way when he writes this. He knows that there will be circumstances where peace is impossible, but he exhorts you, the reader, he exhorts me, the reader, to do what is necessary to make peace possible. And if peace isn't possible, if the other party is not willing to live that peaceable way and to show that peaceable attitude, then he exhorts us in verse 19 to leave the difference with God. He says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Now, someone said that's a confusing phrase, but I believe it's simply explained by all that's written in the remainder of the verse because it tells us there, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I believe that God is simply saying to us here, whenever anger is about to overcome us, whenever we are about to get vengeful, whenever we're about to take that situation in hand and sort it out just to ensure that everybody knows that I'm right and you're so wrong, take your hand off it. Because God's in control. And isn't that how every argument starts? Even in the home? I will know of it in my house. I only read of it in books, but I've been told that whenever arguments come, that it's always one person seeking to domineer over another person. And if that's right, you could tell me if it's right or not at the door, perhaps. But but that's the way we are. We want to be in the ascendancy. We want to ensure people know that we're the top dog. God says, I will right that which is wrong. The Bible reminds us that the Lord is angry at the wicked every day. The Lord is the righteous judge, and as Abraham asked, almost rhetorically, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, friend, the Bible reveals to us every wrong will be made right. But I do warn you that some wrongs will not be made right this side of eternity, but made right they will be. And so leave the difference with God. Number seven, do good. Verse 20, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of of fire on his head. Your plans and my plans should only be and should always be about doing good to all men at all times. How can my presence in their life, how can my influence in their life be a good one, be a positive one, be a memorable one? And notice the emphasis on practical Christianity here. For it says, If thine enemy hunger, feed him, if he thirst, give him drink talks nothing about a tactical battle to overcome your enemy. It talks nothing about an attempt to, as it were, sabotage his plans or to ambush him with any plans or schemes of your own. No, it simply means whenever he is needs, go and meet them. This is all about you getting your hands dirty. It's all about getting up with the spiritual lazy boy we all find ourselves in and stop hiding behind the cloak of piety which says, I pray for them. Actually being the answer to your own prayers. Actually going forth and showing kindness and goodness to those who despise God, despise His Word, despise the people of God. Salvation is the exclusive work of God, we all agree. But so many of the other things that we pray that God would extend in the lives of others is in your gift and mine. We can be kind. We can be loving. We can be decent. We can have compassion. We can make a difference. We can seek to pull them out of the fire we can be the embodiment of all that the gospel of Jesus Christ stands for in the simple things that we say and do. The Bible reminds us here that in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. To me, that simply means it'll melt the hardened heart. It'll remind that lost one, it'll remind that wicked one of just the shame and the guilt of their own actions. It'll testify to the true change of Christ within us. Then in verse 21, number, he had overcome evil. It says, Be not overcome of evil. That simply means we are to guard against being consumed by all that's going on around us. The world in which we live is a world in which the agenda of Satan is unfolding. But you and I aren't called to defeat the world. We're not called to defeat those who think or live differently from us. We're called to win them to Christ. We're called to win them to Christ by the simple but meaningful good works that we engage ourselves in. Showing to them the love of Christ. Notice there, in the middle of the verse, that word but. But. It signifies a different way, the different way that we should live. And we've dwelt for four weeks in the but now of salvation, that is the but now that testifies of the change that God has effected in our lives, but here we have a but that should testify of the change of our behavior. How that actually means that we live our lives and we're to live them peaceably. Remember, at all times, the believer is a follower of the one who died for his enemies. The one who cried out in the midst of the very worst that Satan and all the enemies of the gospel could do unto him as he hung and suffered on that cross. His cry was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so today we're called, we're challenged, we're exhorted to live peaceably. Tell me, will that be what is said of you? What is said of me? By those within the fellowship, but also by those without the fellowship, that there is someone who makes peace wherever they go. May God bless His Word to each of our hearts today. Father, we rejoice in the truth of Thy Word. We're thankful for the challenge of it, how it goes against all that is natural to us. But yet, O Lord, that is exactly the life that Thou has called us to as believers. For yes, we're in the world, but we're most certainly not off the world. But we're to live a life above and beyond. A life that testifies of the but now experience that God has worked in each of our hearts to the praise and to the glory of His name. May this be a fellowship in which we live peaceably. May we be believers who live peaceably. May I be a believer who lives peaceably each and every day. In all our shortcomings, forgive us and help us. May we cast ourselves upon thee. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close today, we'll sing together. The words of I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice and have told thy love to me. If you're not remaining with us for the observance of the Lord's uh, Supper, then please feel free to leave after the first verse. May God bless you as you go.